Hey folks, have you visited our friends at adamandeve.com yet? Use our special discount code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item, plus a free gift, plus free shipping. Oh my god! That's H-O-R-R-O-R. So before you start the show, head over to adamandeve.com for some sexy discounts. The only thing sexier than sex is discounts. Mmm, discounts. I love that. rock! Hello, everyone. Hi, listeners. Thank you for joining us today on Uh, this blessed morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're picking up your phone. Oh, my goodness. I hope it's... Here's the ideal time I think you should be listening to um, this podcast. Mm, Describe it. It's dawn. You've just finished hiking up a mountain. You see the sun rising over a new horizon. Where is this? Um, Maine. I was thinking the Berkshires, so either way. They're the same. Somewhere in New England. Yeah. You think to yourself about the future, about possibility, about your own ability and everything you can do, and in the distance you hear just, like, a tiny, like, ding. Yep. And that's when you start the podcast. Oh my god. But you might just be listening to it, like, while you're making dinner, and that's also fine. I'm crying. (laughs) That's so beautiful. I like to paint and paint a, um, a verbal image. Oh, you're like a Bob Ross of this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is what's on my business card, so that's good. I'm so happy. Oh, I feel great now. And I'm ready to make you all feel terrible. Yeah, so, welcome to I'm Horrified. Yep. I'm Sam, she's Allie. I'm Allie, she's Sam. Um, and today we're going to be talking about Mary Shelley. And toxic shock syndrome. Yeah, let's do it. Two things I learned about in middle school. We always have to link them, but they're never linked. <laughs> I bet you didn't learn about a lot of this in middle school, because a lot of it is sexual and terrifying. Woo! Um, my two favorite things. <laughs> um, so... Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley was a writer known for novels, short stories, essays, and drama in the Romantic era, specifically contributing to the field of Gothic fiction. So what that means is romanticism was something that kind of happened from 1800 to 1850, Mm -hmm. um, and that's relating to Romantic era of literature uh, and art and doesn't, like, mean, like, lovey-dovey romance novels. Yes. It's different, I I learned. I wish... Frankenstein was a romance novel. Oh my god. Well, gothic fiction often does have romantic elements. Uh-huh. I think there are some romantic elements in Frankenstein. But I'm talking um, the romance novels I read. Like, you yeah, like sex. Yeah, like the yeah. Viscount and the Milkmaid. Corset like, ripping. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. So there is a little bit of corset ripping in our future. Just Woo! so you know. Woo! I cannot wait. Um, so yeah. Um, quick background for romanticism as a genre, just so you kind of know her vibe. Um, It has to do with a period of self-expression on behalf of the artist or writer, championing the individual experience of the storyteller. So that's kind of what they mean by romantic, like kind of romanticizing the self. Oh. Um, Often relating to nature, the past or present, and free-reigning emotions. Mm -hmm. We love free-reigning emotions. We love it. We love it. Um, And the gothic genre, which is what she specifically worked in, uh, is sort of adjacent to that. It's like pulling in the emotional aspect from romanticism, but focusing on like, aspects of fear and terror and also romantic love, so it's a little mm. more heightened. And oftentimes they include a castle, which nice. I love it. Um, so she had her own kind of, like, gothic novel. Her life was like a gothic novel. Um, we're not here to talk about literature. We're here to talk about Mary Shelley's shitty, shitty life. So um, <laughs> oh, Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin Shelley was born Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, in 1797 in London to Mary Wollstonecraft and William Godwin. So, yes, that is the famous early feminist advocate, 
Mary Wollstonecraft. I was I was literally thinking like I know that name. Yes. So she's um one of those early women's rights ladies. She was out there so, suffragetting. So Mary's like your cool friend who has a hippie for a mom. Yeah. Well, she didn't really have a mom that long. Let me <laughs> let oh, me explain. No. Um. So Mary Wollstonecraft Senior had a daughter named Fanny from a previous affair with her lover, Gilbert Imlay, who was then little Mary's Uh half-sister. So after Mary Sr. gave birth to Mary Jr., um, an infection occurred when a doctor tried to help her deliver the afterbirth, because there was a problem with that, and didn't wash his hands. She fucking died over that. So, like, to quote, this podcast will kill you, wash your hands, you filthy animals. Oh, my God. Um, She endured 11 days of agony and then died of septicemia. She endured 11 days of agony? That's what happened. Bummer. I'm horrified. Um, We're not even started. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, she was buried in Old St. Pancras Churchyard. Remember that churchyard. Remember this graveyard because it comes up later. Sounds like pancreas. I will remember. Okay. We'll remember. So, Godwin, Mary Wollstonecraft's husband... Um, so little Mary's father, was completely devastated um, and left to care for the little Mary and his late wife's love child by himself. Um, A fun non sequitur, he wrote in later years a memoir of his beloved wife's um, life and writings, because she had famously written A Vindication of the Rights of Women. Uh Um, But in that memoir, um, I think he was trying to be, like, candid and, like, loving of every part of her, but he wrote about her many affairs, bastard children, and suicide attempts, and so he was criticized for basically, like, publicly shaming her after her death, oh, which I don't think just, he meant to he do. He was just trying to write a tell-all. Yeah. Like, in a positive way. But, like, it ended up being, like, a huge slander to, oh, slander no. to her name. Oh, Godwin. Her. Yeah, Godwin. Um, so Mary and Fanny are growing up with Dad, right? And um, eventually he remarries a woman named Jane Claremont, who came with two bastard children of her own. Great. Oh, I love all the bastards um, in this episode. I know, there's tons. We haven't even gotten to, like, a third of them. Ooh. So Charles and Claire are her children. Claire Claremont would later be Mary's best friend. That's a sick name. I love it. I love it. So many reported Jane Claremont as a quick-tempered and quarrelsome woman um, who Mary would grow to resent. One of the reasons she resented her was because of her treatment towards her half-sister Fanny, Mm -hmm. because Fanny was neither Jane's or William's biological child. So, you know, her mother had died and she never knew her father, so... It's like a real Cinderella scenario. Yeah, she was kind of the odd man out, which sucks. Um, So Mary is growing up and receives extremely advanced education for a girl at that time. She has private tutors and attends boarding school and obviously shows early aptitude for academics and writing. Not surprising, given who her mom was. Real. So in March of 1814, Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin meets Percy Shelley. Heyo. How old is she in March of 1814? 17. Okay. He's, he's 22. Okay. So that's not so bad. Um, Percy Shelley was an avid fan of her father's due to his political writings. So her father's like a political writer, activist, dude. Cool. Um, Shelley is also a political radical and writer in addition to being a very famous atheist. Um, So he was hanging around their home um, saying that he would pay off Godwin's debts, which he had a lot of. (laughs) What a Um, bold thing to say. Like as an excuse to hang out with this writer that he loved. And then he started (laughs) hanging around because of all of his hot daughters, Mm -hmm. biological or otherwise. So after several months, Mary and Percy started meeting in secret at Old St. Pancras Churchyard. Do you remember it? Yes, where her mom's buried. Yes, that's important. (laughs) Um, So they're meeting 
in her mom's graveyard, like, reading each other poetry and whatnot. Hot. Mind you, he was married with a child to a woman named Harriet. At 22? At 22. He was married with a child. So, pause. Do you want to know how he met Harriet? Yes. They met briefly, and then Harriet started writing him letters that she was going to kill herself if they couldn't be together. Oh, wow. Bold. Um, he didn't even care about that because he was trying to get with his cousin, who was also named Harriet. Did he just get confused at I the think altar? maybe he did. Oh, man. So, cousin Harriet rejects him, so then he's like, all right, well, I have this non-cousin Harriet who's, like, so desperate So into it. Yeah. So he goes, he elopes with her, mm-hmm. so he's married to non-cousin Harriet, and then he's living with her and her 28-year-old sister and sleeping with both of them. Great. While non-cousin Harriet is pregnant. So that all happens before he starts shacking up with Mary Shelley. Great. W- Wallstonecraft Godwin at this yes. point. And I'm, and I'm sure that Harriet, his wife, like, marrying Percy Shelley fixed all her mental health problems, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> she something... never had problems again. Oh, it comes up later. Oh, God. Um, so back to Mary and Percy. Something's about to happen. She's, again, she's 17, he's 22. So they're in the graveyard, flirting. With her dead mom feet away. It's hot right now. <laughs> um, according to her diary, on June 26th, 1814, <laughs> Percy confessed his quote, ardent passion for her, which led Mary to a, quote, sublime and rapturous moment where she confessed the same. And then legend has it that she loses her virginity to him on top of her mother's grave. That's goth as fuck. Yeah, what a slam dunk that is. Am I right? <laughs> I love that story. Oh my god. And it's like, in a way, I bet her mom is up there like, nice. Yeah, get it. Oh my god. Get it. I love it. So, um... They're totally in love, right? Because they had sex in a graveyard. So they elope and they go to France. The only natural move. Is right? he still married to Harriet? Oh, yeah. For sure. He okay. left her, but they're still married. Right. She's pregnant at the time. Perfect. Um, so they're in France. So they run away to France and they bring Claire Claremont with them because they're best friends. Absolutely. Um, but they leave Fanny behind. Oh. That's important. It comes up later. Fanny. I will say, if I eloped with a handsome young writer, I'd bring you to France. Oh my god, I would come. Yeah, that'd be so fun. Um, hopefully it doesn't turn out the way that this turns out. Oh god. Because I don't think we'd be friends by the end of it. Oh but no. But let me just continue. Alright. So they go to France, but France was just in a war. I forget which one. So then they go to Switzerland, and then they end up back in England, so that was all kind of just a wash. <laughs> So they're in Kent. The three of them are living together, Percy, Mary, and Claire. Ooh, and this is feeling like point, an echo of his relationship with... Dude, yeah. Like, oh, that's no. exactly what happens. So at some point, Mary got pregnant. Mm-hmm. So that's another correlation to the situation before. Um, so she's getting more and more pregnant and starts noticing that Percy and Claire are taking lots of, like, trips to the supermarket. Jesus. If you know what I mean. Percy! Um, so this is, like, two pairs of sisters that Percy Shelley has found to impregnate and cheat on. What a catch. Um, so this is sad. Um, their baby girl is born and very quickly dies. Um, and so this is the first of three children she will give birth to who will die, um, in infancy. Oh, that's so hard. Um, so among several miscarriages. So this is sort of like a theme through her entire life and in her writing Mm -hmm. that continues to come up. And so at this point, I wanted to read an excerpt from a wonderful New Yorker article by Jill Lepore entitled The Strange and Twisted Life of Frankenstein. I love Jill Lepore, so I'm very excited Oh my gosh, she's amazing. She wrote this amazing book about Wonder Woman. Oh, she's so good. Um, It's fabulously written. Um, And it should be mentioned that Frankenstein, released in 1818, is celebrating its 200th anniversary this year. Wow! Yeah, amazing. So here's just an excerpt from her article. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin Shelley began writing Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus, when she was 18 years old, two years after she'd become pregnant with her first child, a baby she did not name. Nurse the baby, read, she had written in her diary, day after day, until the 11th day. Quote, I woke in the night to give it suck. It appeared to be sleeping so quietly that I would not wake it, end quote. And then in the morning, quote, find my baby dead, end quote. Oh, God. With grief, with grief at the loss came a fear of a fever from the milk. So apparently that was a thing, like, she was worried about, since she wasn't breastfeeding, that there was going to be some kind of problem. fever or problem or infection. Her breasts were swollen, inflamed, unsucked. Her sleep, too, grew fevered. Quote, dream that my little baby came to life again, that it had only been cold, and that we rubbed it before the fire, and it lived. End quote. Mm. Um, she wrote in her diary. Quote, awake and find no baby. End quote. So, pregnant again only weeks later, she was likely still nursing her second baby when she started writing Frankenstein, and pregnant with her third by the time she finished. She didn't put her name on her book. She published Frankenstein anonymously in 1818, not least out of her concern that she might lose custody of her children. And she didn't give her monster a name either. Oh. Isn't that incredible? That's, like, so sad. Yeah. But it's, like, I never thought about that. But, like, yeah, it is, like, a story of, like, birth and creation. Yeah. Yeah. And and the the novel, which I read many, many years ago, mm. um is very empathetic towards the monster. No, yeah, he is not the bad guy. No. Like, society and its creator is the monster. Yeah. Um, and so I just found, found that excerpt so haunting in the correlations between the tragedy in her life and the story of, like, reanimating the dead and having that effort only lead to more despair, of, like, trying to bring life into the world and having it only lead to despair just be this kind of really haunting image. Yeah. Oh, um, Mary. Yeah. So, um... So moving forward from that, so she's lost her child, which is terrible, um, but life starts moving on when they discover that Claire is actually pregnant. Oh, God. By none other than Lord Byron. Yeah, no. Because why shouldn't he enter the picture? So the four of them, Mary, Percy, Claire, and Lordy Lord Byron, I don't even know his first name, (laughs) all head to (laughs) Lake Geneva to cover up yet another illegitimate pregnancy. And it's here in Byron's villa That there is a night of ghost stories that famously leads to the genesis of Frankenstein. Yeah. So that story is ultimately expanded upon and published into one of the most successful works of gothic horror of all time. So that's pretty cool. Good for her. Good for her. She was a fabulous writer. Yeah. No one could take that away from her. Um, even Percy fucking Shelley, the dick. So while Frankenstein is being finished and as Claire prepares to have Lord Byron's bastard child, they receive... An alarming letter from Fanny, their sister, do you remember her? (gasps) Yeah! That said, quote, I depart immediately to the spot from which I hope never to remove. What? Yeah, what does that mean? Bad, bad stuff. So days later, they find that she has poisoned herself, leaving a note that describes her unhappy life. Oh, Fanny! Very sad. And then, get this, historians are fairly sure that it was partially because of an unrequited love with Percy Shelley. Oh, Jesus Are you kidding me? He must have been so hot. What is up with this? Or does he just have, like, a great personality? I doubt it. Not great. Great isn't the right word. Magnetic. He's just, yeah, magnetic. I think he's, like, a, he'd probably be a cult leader. You know who I'm thinking of him as? Tell me. This is, like, gonna be unpopular, but stick with me. Like, a Chris Pratt. I hear it, though. Like, handsome... Like, really he could do charismatic. anything to you. Yeah. yeah. But then he breaks up with Aaron Ferris, and you're like, what's happening there? Yeah, but, like, I'd still let him cheat on me. Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Let's move on. Okay. Let's keep that visual, though. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, so kind of historians are fairly sure that that was a big part of her oh, broken God, heart. Danny. To which I respond, why? Um, okay, let's kick it up a notch. No! Speaking of women who are in love with Percy Shelley, do you remember non-cousin Harriet? Yeah. So, after being abandoned by her piece-of-shit husband for several years, she drowns herself in the Serpentine Lake in London. Harriet. He wasn't worth it, non-cousin Harriet. God, he oh my God, so bad. So, all his shit's going down, and so, in the middle of this, Percy, Shelley, and Mary finally decide to actually get married so that they can oh, try, yeah. so that they can try to get uh, custody of Percy's kids. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work because Percy's an atheist, so the courts give them to foster care anyways. Oh, interesting. Strike a thousand. So he doesn't even get the kids that he abandoned. So, So eventually they move to Italy where she loses those two children that I mentioned before um, and suffers another miscarriage. But um, the one sort of ray of hope is that she eventually gives birth to Percy Florence, who I mentioned, who does make it into adulthood and who she does, who does outlive her, which is great. Um, (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, but stop. Is that the end of tragedy for Mary Shelley? Probably not. Heck nope. Uh. Um... While sailing down the coast of Italy for no reason at all, Percy Shelley drowns to death and washes up in Via Reggio. I mean, that feels like the way he would have wanted to go. Yeah, serves you right for cheating on every woman in England. I hate him. I hate him. But he had style. Yeah. He had style. Oh my god. And she was like, she was like in crazy mourning. Yeah, she was devastated. And like in death, he was kind of propelled mm-hmm. to this angelic figure and the, and the love of her life, which he was. He was the love of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he was cheating on her every minute of every day. With her, with his, with her sister! Among others. Among everyone else. Ugh. So she lived close to her son and his wife for the rest of her life, which is great. Yeah. Um, And died at the age of 53, which I think is a ripe old age in the 1800s. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> I think that's okay. Back in the day, that's not bad. Alright, I got one last little bit of information for you. Alright. Are you ready for it? Do I want it? Yeah, you do, actually. Alright. On the year anniversary of her death, her family opened her desk to find three things. Locks of her dead children's hair, a notebook she had shared with Percy Shelley, and a silk parcel holding the remains of his heart. She is so fucking goth. I know. She's a legend. It's so I punk love rock. She's so punk rock. I yes. fucking love She's that. She's like Angelina Jolie wearing a vial of blood. Yes, but oh better. My God. So, like, her life is tragic, and I am horrified, but, yeah. like, what a badass. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that the thing that truly shakes me up the most is how many intelligent, educated, rich women are just, like, tossing their panties at this idiot, Percy yeah. Shelley. Why are you doing that? Why is he so special? Oh, my God. Wait, I just thought of someone else modern who Percy Shelley is. Mm-hmm. He's a Scott Disick. I hate Scott Disick so much. Yeah, so he got Kourtney Kardashian in his thrall, which yeah. is already, like, she's the smartest Kardashian. And now he's dating Lionel Richie's youngest daughter, Sophia, who is, like, 19. Oh, my God. And no. Lionel, Lionel Richie was like, I hope it's a phase. Like, literally on the record was like, this is a phase Sophia is going through. Yeah, I hope she doesn't stay with this idiot. But the rest of the world is like, Scott Disick is a piece of shit. Oh, my God, he is like a Scott Disick. He's like a Percy Shelley. Yeah. Holy shit. Poor Mary I wish all that of she this. and Claire and Fanny had just, like, hung out together. I mean, that would have been a lot less pain for all of them. Yeah, I mean, I think that they kind of would have had a harmonious existence if Percy Shelley didn't come in, enrapture them, and then... <laughs> fuck every one yeah, of them, fuck them all at the same time. Like, <laughs> Just another example of men ruining history. I just remember that they fucked on her mom's grave and I'm back in, though. Oh, my God. That's a move. 
Yeah, you with swag like that, how are you going to turn it down? <laughs> but that's that. Damn, Mary. That's her. There she is. Now i got to reread Frankenstein. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's a, I remember really liking it. I read it in, like, high school, and it's I remember fra- really fabulous. liking it. I love it. Oh, man. What are we going to talk about next? Jeez. Um, also, much like Percy Shelley, um, something that unfairly affects women. Yeah, <laughs> true. I'm going to talk about a little something today called... The toxic shock syndrome. Ooh, what Spooky. is that, Sam? So, like, I feel like we always talk about the talk. Right. And that usually is, like, the sex talk. The right. birds and the bees talk. But this is a little something for you who don't have vaginas out there. People who have vaginas get a talk about periods. Right. There's a separate talk. A me- yeah, there's two talks in the life of a vagina haver. Yep. So, you get to talk about periods, about your menstrual cycle, you learn how to put a pad in, and maybe when you're 14, mm-hmm. you learn about tampons. Tampon talk. But the tampon talk is also the toxic shock syndrome talk. Yeah. And I very much remember my mom having this talk with me of, like, if you decide you want to wear tampons because you're 14 and you want to go in the pool with your friends this summer, you have to know about this killer of women and when you put the, it up there and when you're taking it back out you have to be on it you have to be looking at the clock and four, i remember for a six hour window it put the fear of god in me yeah i don't think my mom talked to me about it but i learned about it from friends which is the worst way to learn about anything when you're a child true so i'm going to talk a little bit about uh what toxic shock syndrome is and then we're going to talk about tampons and how they interact and then i'm going to tell you a very sad story about a woman no who is now uh, like an advocate for against toxic shock syndrome oh my she's lit but i love her already if she's alive good for she's her. alive her Thank story God. is a true bummer so Allie, what is toxic shock syndrome here's what it is toxic shock syndrome is a sudden and potentially fatal condition ah. i'm horrified It's caused by the release of poisonous substances from an overgrowth of bacteria called, I'm going to do my best, Staphylococcus aureus. Oh, that's correct. Or Staph, which is what I'm going to call it. infection. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know what that is. Which is found in many women's bodies. Um, And when I say women, I mean vagina haver, just for the rest of this. I'm going to try to use vagina haver. If I use women, that's not what I meant, and I'm sorry. So... Yeah, this pertains to people who have periods. Yes. Um, and about 20% of all people, so whether you have a vagina or not, 20% of people just, like, have staph in their bodies. Interesting. And it's, like, a chill thing that's happening in your body. Yeah, it's It's not not doing anything. But toxic shock syndrome largely affects menstruating people, and that's kind of why it's gotten this big, weird stigma, I guess, around it. It's the tampon disease. It's the tampon disease. Basically. And when you get toxic shock syndrome, your body responds with a sharp drop in blood pressure that deprives your organs of oxygen and leads to your death. And I'd rather not. Yep, agreed. So in order to get um, this toxic shock syndrome, staph needs to be able to grow in an environment where it can really rapidly both grow and release its poisons. Um, And one thing that is very good for that is a tampon saturated in blood. Yeah, in a warm, bacteria-growing vagina. Yes. And so, in theory, that's, like, after you have it up there for 30 hours, which you should not. 30 hours? I'm gonna get into it. Like, that's, like, not quite true, but it is true. Oh, my God. But generally, if you have a, if you have a tampon in you for more than 30 hours, 
there is a high chance that you are going to get toxic shock syndrome. Oh my god. Um, and especially because um, the other way is that it, it's easier to poison the bloodstream because when you insert a tampon, there's tiny tears often. Yes, I knew that. Because one time, like, the, there were these girls going to a festival and they soaked their tampons in, in vodka, vodka mm-hmm. to get drunk. Yep. And they, like, overdosed. Yeah. Because it goes directly into your blood. Because yeah. there's these tears on the walls. It's like vagina. mainlining. Yeah. Blood. Don't do that. I won't. Don't Listeners. do that. I'm pointing at the microphone right now. You guys, I'm going to be so pissed if one of you dies. If any of you do Because you that. soak a tampon in vodka and you stick it up there. Just take a little nip and shove it in your vagina like an adult. Yeah. Or buy one of those bracelets that's secretly a flask. Oh, they're so obviously flasks. But I mean... I'm not saying you should soak a tampon yeah. in vodka. Or, or but... just, if you have to be that drunk to be somewhere, don't go there. If you have to be that drunk to be somewhere, you should probably talk to somebody about your yeah. reliance on alcohol is really what I'm saying. Yeah. And and go somewhere where you'll have fun not being drunk. Board games are fun. Yeah. What were you talking about? Let's talk more about toxic shock syndrome. <laughs> um, so just to, like, run down some symptoms, like, I didn't actually know the symptoms of toxic shock syndrome. I knew I had to avoid it at all costs. I, I only knew about death as a symptom. Yeah. So here's what will happen. That's always crazy when I'm, like, it's, like, there's a medicine <laughs> on TV and they're, like, some symptoms are... Cramping, <laughs> nausea, being dead. And I'm like, why are you selling this? Oh, God. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, that's like when you WebMD something and you're like, it's either fine or you're dying. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like, my well. anti- one of the symptoms of my antidepressant is suicide. And I'm like, that's confusing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do I know if it's working? Oh, you got <laughs> me there. So here are some things that are happening to you if um, you have toxic shock syndrome. You have a fever of 102.2 or greater. Problem. That's really high. I don't know if you guys have seen Osmosis Jones, but you know that's bad. That's the only reason I know that. <laughs> yeah. Your systolic blood pressure is not doing a good job. Um, I don't know what any of the numbers mean, but it's crazy. Your blood pressure's off the charts. Yeah. That's like uh, when the doctor's like, oh, your blood pressure's whatever, whatever, over. and I'm like, is that bad or good <laughs> or... We're not doctors. Yeah. You should know by now that we're not doctors. We're fun, flirty feminists, but we are not doctors. I'll stand by that. Yeah. I'll get that on a shirt. So, um, something else, a weird one, is skin peeling. If you have toxic shock syndrome, your skin, especially on your palms and the soles of your feet, will, like, peel like crazy. So that's just crazy to me that all the skin on my palms would come off. I would, I would just, (laughs) ugh. No. Now I'm, like, looking at my palms. Like, um, and then also with, um, TSS, toxic shock syndrome, you're gonna get the involvement of three or more organ systems. So, gastrointestinal, you will have vomiting and diarrhea. No. Um, muscular, everything will get, like, very twitchy. Which is spooky. Um, mucous membrane hyperemia, which means, like, a flood of blood to your vagina, your mouth, and, like, your eyes. So it's either just, like, very swollen, or if you do get cut, like, it's just pouring out of you. Oh my god. Horrifying. Oh, my skin is crawling. Um, kidney failure. Your kidneys don't work anymore. Your liver will get inflamed. Your platelets will be low. And your central nervous system, you will have confusion. Just, you're confused. Oh my god. So that's what happens. So now let's talk about why TSS and tampons are connected. Let's. So, interestingly, so tampon is derived from a middle French word for plug. Like a stopper of a bottle. Yeah. Which is just a fun (laughs) fact. Um, But even before then, people were just getting stuff up there. 
the ancient Egyptians are the first people recorded as shoving stuff up there. But That's it was so actually... them. They're always the ones, you know. Well, they're the, they're like the ones who recorded it all. So it's like yeah. the Sumerians might have been doing this, but no one thought to put it on a tablet. But the Egyptians were like, yeah. "Dear diary, today I used animal <laughs> dung as a face mask." Yeah, like, like straight were up. Were other people doing that? Maybe did they write it down? No, no. But the Egyptians just wanted to be known. Yeah. Um. Interestingly, the ancient Egyptians it, they weren't shoving stuff up there to stop the blood. They were shoving stuff up there like medicinally. So like if you had a health problem. Right. You would maybe shove some herbs up there, and it would, like, in theory... Sounds like my Friday night. Hey. Nope. <laughs> um, so after that, it's a lot of people shoving stuff up there for medicinal reasons or for birth control. Like, in theory, they thought... Oh, right. If you shove some stuff up there, the semen can't get through. Yeah, it's like if you shove, like, a mint leaf up there, like, yeah. you won't get pregnant. Yeah. Which, that works, everyone. No, it Guys, doesn't. no. <laughs> Sam's like, Jesus. Um, one of the first civilizations to use tampons for menstrual reasons were ancient Japan. Ooh. And they used to have uh, tampons made of paper and held in place by a bandage, uh, which was so ineffective they had to be changed 12 times a day. Sounds about right. So, like, probably those ancient Japanese women were like, I'll just free bleed. If I have to I every two hours... <laughs> I would take it as an excuse to just, like, lay in a bathtub for a week, oh, you know? Yeah. The olden times sucked, yeah. so I would totally gladly take a, you know, respite from the olden times. Well, that's, like, a rule in the Old Testament, I think, is that, like, if your wife is menstruating, like, you can't sit in any chair she's sat in. Yeah, that's what a mikvah's for. A mikvah is, like, a, a bath that you would, like, purify yourself with after your menstrual cycle, and also after other things. Uh, impure things. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. That's what that was. So that's that was the idea of that. Uh, but the first tampon, as we think about tampons, were patented by a Colorado doctor named Earl Haas in 1931. So, like, that's crazy. Just that's think about that. Soon, recently. Yeah, that, like, so this is, like, a tampon with, like, a cardboard telescoping applicator that you put up there. Mm-hmm. That is 1930s. Um, and around the same time in Germany, one of the ones that doesn't have the cardboard applicator was patented, like the OB tampons. Right. An interesting fact about this applicator tampon that was get, uh, that was um, patented in 1931 is that a woman whose name was Gertrude Tendrich bought the patent, and she's the one who started to produce it, and she founded Tampax. Oh, that's cool. So that's where that comes from. And they became super popular during World War II because women were, like, up and on the go. Yeah, they had to and plug that up. Yeah. They had to. Even though um, people didn't like it, like, parents were worried it were going to break their daughter's hymens, and, like, doctors just were worried that, like, it would make women feel too erotic, like, oh, just yeah. some bullshit. Oh, yeah. Nothing makes me feel more <laughs> erotic than when I'm on day two of my heavy period and I have to shove a lot of cotton up my vagina. Mm-hmm. Nothing really gets my just motor rubbing. Absolutely. Quite like that. That's when I'm at my sexiest. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, from 1931... Till the late 70s, early 80s, TSS is not a problem, it seems. Oh, okay. Is everyone following the rules? We're all chill. Uh, in 1978, the first TSS study was published in The Lancet, but it actually didn't have to do, have anything to do with menstruating women. It was like what a bunch it of, it was a bunch of children who had gotten staff-related, oh, like, okay. um, infections. It was like seven children, one of whom had died, because, like I was saying, TSS is essentially a staph infection that's just gone crazy and, like, shuts down all your organs. So, like, really they were just like, what an interesting type of staph infection that all these kids got. Then, two years later, we get to 1980. 
1980, all of a sudden, there are, like, 55 cases of toxic shock syndrome. Oh, my God. And the Centers for Disease Control is like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, there were, like, eight of these two years ago, and now there's 50 of them. Like, how did that happen? But they realized 95% of the patients um, were vagina havers, and 95% of those vagina havers were on their periods. Oh. When they got, got it. toxic shock syndrome. So the doctors are like, interesting. <laughs> that might be a fact. How? Weird. And they realized that in the 1980s, the thing that had become really popular were high-absorbency tampons. Mm. And a specific brand called Rely, which you should not rely on because it gives you toxic shock you. syndrome. Yeah. So that was new in the 80s, and that's why all of a sudden, like, women were like, oh, super-absorbency. Like, I can keep it in for 18 hours. Right. Oh, my God. That's so interesting. And for the first time, and this is still happening, and I'll get back to this when I tell my last story, um, they're also, originally, tampons were all, like, cotton. Right. But all of a sudden, they're made of rayon and plastic and synthetic ingredients like that, and that is, like, a Petri disc for staff. Like, that is the best environment staff could grow in, is, like, a synthetic fiber covered in blood shoved up you. Yep. Staff is like, this is my party. (laughs) Turn off all the lights and put on the strobe. (laughs) Yes. We're here. So in September of 1980, Rely tampons are pulled off the market. They were literally recalled because they were like, I mean, good. These are causing all staph infections in women, all this TSS. Um, And they have never been back on the market since. Rely doesn't exist anymore. I'm sure it was just like bought by a different company. Goodbye, Rely. That specific brand contained polyester foam that was really, really good for staph bacteria. Bad for vagina havers. Yes. So, that's why tampons and TSS are connected. And now I'm going to tell you a quick story that I've just titled Sweet Lauren. Oh. And it's about a wonderful woman named Lauren Wasser, who is a model and an athlete, and she has devoted herself to rectifying what she sees as a serious problem with the tampon industry. So she's, like, this gorgeous model basketball player, so she's, like, six foot Super athletic, super cool, blonde. Both her parents are models. Like, oh my god. But she's also cool. Like, just like frustratingly wonderful is what I would call those people. <laughs> Lauren Wasser. And then all of a sudden, on October 3rd, 2012, Lauren said that she started to feel a little off, almost like she was coming down with the flu. But she's on her period, so she figures that's part of it. And she runs to the local store and buys her favorite brand of tampons, Kotex natural balance very specifically that brand right she says was her favorite so then she went home she's really not feeling well she's maybe gonna go to a party later but she's like maybe i'll just stay in i'm not deciding she goes to bed and she doesn't wake up for two days oh my god to the point where like her mom is like gets her landlord to open the door and is like lauren and lauren's like what and she's like you haven't answered your phone in two days like your cat has shit everywhere oh my god what happened and she's like i'm just really tired. Like, I'm just so tired. Surprise, her body was shutting down. Oh my god. Uh, she is rushed to the hospital with a fever of 107 degrees. Oh my god. And doctors say she is 10 minutes from death. So thank you, mom, for fucking breaking down her door. Oh, that's such a mom move. <laughs> yeah. What an awesome mom. So, yeah, seriously. Her internal organs are all shutting down, and she's suffered a massive heart attack. Oh my god. And she's, like, in her 20s. So it's not like she's... 50 and this is happening. This is crazy. 
And it's also not like she's, like, a little girl experiencing her first period. Like, she's a, a, a young woman. A woman. Um, doctors can't stabilize her. No one has any idea what's going on. And finally, an infectious disease specialist is called in who immediately asks, does she have a tampon in? She does. They send it to the lab, and it comes back positive for toxic shock syndrome. Days later, <laughs> she oh wakes God. up. She's so disoriented, and she's feeling a burning sensation in her hands and feet that won't stop no matter what she does. The infection that she had turned to gangrene. I know what that means. So, she ends up signing the papers to authorize amputation of her right leg below the knee, and she said, both my legs were starting to mummify, I had to act quickly. And so, she, they want to also amputate her left leg, and she has them, like, not quite because, like, they're able to graft some skin on. This story was written a couple years ago, and in the time since, like, she now has to get the left leg amputated as well. So, like, she's had it for a couple years, but now it seems like her left leg is unfortunately going to also have to be amputated. So, it's just so sad. So, Lauren's message is that these fibers in tampons, like, she thought her tampons were all natural because they were called, like, Kotex natural. Right. But it's just as many synthetic fibers. And since she's a person who, like, has staph in her body... It latched onto those synthetic fibers, and she just, like, was fucked. Right, because she's one of that 20% of people. Exactly. With staff in her body. And so she is now advocating for tampons to be way more transparent about not just, make sure you take them out every six hours, but, like, hey, this has synthetic shit in it. Yeah. And just be aware. You have to know that that's what you're putting in your body. Yeah. Or, preferably, she would rather they did not use synthetic shit anymore. Yeah. And go back to, like, cotton. But she's really adamant, like, she's not saying don't use tampons. She's saying, like, be aware Mm -hmm. of what is happening. And she also said, which, like, this honestly, like, almost made me laugh. Like, you can tell she, like, has, like, a morbid good sense of humor about it. She sounds awesome. She's very cool. She said she can't stand watching tampon commercials, the girls frolicking on the beach, or shimmering down a playground slide in spotless white shorts. And she says, quote, I can't go on a slide. I don't really want to be in a bathing suit. I couldn't go jump in the ocean if I wanted to. The product fucked me over. Yeah. So it, like, pisses her off when it's, like, try yeah, new for her. natural play tampons. She gets so pissed. It's like running down a beach. So, exactly. She gets mad. So, so she's, like, a really cool advocate now for, like, knowing what you're putting in your body. More, like, notability about TSS. And then something else that she said that just made me laugh is that um, the person interviewing her asked her if she still plays basketball, like, thinking, like, oh, my God, have you had to quit this? And she said she does, quote, if you have game, you have game forever. Oh, my God, I love her. She's so cool. She's amazing. She's so cool. So um, since kind of her whole thing went down, which was around 2012, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has been trying to enforce stricter tampon regulations. They're requiring manufacturers to steer away from high-absorbency chemical-laced designs. And include bigger toxic shock warnings on the packaging and hopefully in the commercials. And today, the National Institute of Health notes that menstrual-related TSS comprise less than half of all TSS incidents. That's good. So that's good. It's getting better, but it is horrifying. Yeah. And, like, the fact that this happened to Port Lauren and it happened to all those women in the 80s with their rely tampons, like, it is totally true that, like, you're putting this foreign thing in your body. Yeah. To suck up your blood. And, like, it makes sense that it is, like, a Petri dish for bacteria. And we have the right to know yeah. what's going in our bodies. Absolutely. And should be proud to take ownership over knowing what's going exactly. in our bodies. And shouldn't just be embarrassed of, like, I just have to make sure no one sees me bleed. Like, 
I'd rather someone saw you bleed for an hour than, like, you left your tampon in an extra hour than you should. Yeah. And potentially. Exactly. Like, get this horrifying thing. Nothing gets me angrier than, like, period shame. You know what I mean? Not on behalf of women, but I just feel like it's like, oh my god, it's just such a stupid thing to worry about. You know what I mean? Like. It really is. I'm bleeding right now. Good for you. Listeners. Can you hear it? It's happening. (laughs) Have you been able to hear the drip, drip, drip? (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Imagine if there's, like, a non-menstruating listener out there like, huh. My period's more like, like um, the blood flowing out going, no, <laughs> that's what it sounds like if True. I were to make it into a sound. And I'm just so quickly, and they're not sponsoring us, but I would like them to. I'm going to try to make that happen. <laughs> Please do. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you guys right now. I've been using a Diva Cup since college, and it changed my life. It's, like, this plastic, like, like cup, basically. Like, it silicone, looks like a, right? Yeah, it's silicone. So it's sterile. And it looks like a funnel, and you put it up in you, and it can be there for 12 hours. Yeah. You can take it out more. Because it's if not you want. absorbing it. No, and it's pushing just pushing it up against your vagina. Exactly. It's holding it away from the walls of your vagina, so it's not like encouraging bacteria the way that a tampon is like against your walls, right. encouraging transfers like that. Um, and then, like, you take it out, you dump it, you um, like boil it in water when you want to sterilize it. Mm hmm. And it's amazing and makes my life easier. It's healthier. And it's, yeah, it's better and it's better for the environment. I'm not buying tampons anymore. It's better so for your like, wallet. It's better for my wallet. The other thing is that, um, uh, I don't know which, if I'm stealing this from like a Thinks commercial. I don't know. Um, or a. They should sponsor us too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they should. Or a, um, Diva Cup commercial. But, um, Tampons don't only just suck up blood, but they also suck up um, the natural moisture that's in yeah, your that's vagina. Yeah, that's And your pH so, gets all fucked up. Yeah, you need that natural moisture in your vagina. Um, I would say not to get too graphic, but, like, we're, we're there. <laughs> um, we talked about blowjobs so much last episode. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, you gotta be on board for that kind of stuff you're listening to. I'm horrified. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of better for you all around. Yeah, definitely. Or and free just, bleeding it, which, go to town. Yeah, do that. Buy the things. Our roommate has things. She likes them. She does, yeah. Like. And if they'll sponsor us, we'll have them. Hell yeah. And use tampons if you want to. Like, totally. For a lot of people, tampons is the best option. And for me, it was for years. Yeah, and there are cotton tampons. There's, and there are cotton tampons. Yeah, you, could, you should just do some research into what's going to be best for your body, mm-hmm. not just the quickest, most discreet, low-cost option, because, you know, it's, it's your body. You should. Yes. You should invest in it. And just, like, and also, like, I didn't just say this explicitly, but, like, just to femme-identifying people, like, if you are in pain and you know something is wrong with your body, assert that to the people around you and, like, your doctor. Yeah. And don't be like, oh, I'm just imagining it. Yeah, femme-identifying people and people who have periods. Yes. Just All of the above. Every, yeah. Just, like, I, like, yeah, I just feel like so many of us feel like they, we can't be, like, I actually know something's wrong with me. Embrace and you have to your take pain. it seriously. Yes. Yes. We want to be like, oh, well, if you're saying it's like, I should just, like, maybe I should just go take a nap. And then you sleep for two days and you wake up with a 107 degree fever and you get both your legs amputated like yeah. sweet Lauren. Yeah. Your pain is valid whether it's tied to your period or not. Absolutely. For sure. Ugh. Ugh. Maybe it's because I'm bleeding, but I feel so empowered. Me too. I'm not bleeding this minute, but. Cycle sisters. Soon. We're not on the same cycle anymore. It's sad. We used to be when we, we were really in college. We really did used to be, yeah. Yep. I don't know what happened. One of us switched up our pill pack. Ugh, damn it. I hate whoever did that. <laughs> Which one of us was it? I don't know. I'll put a poll on Twitter. <laughs> um, 
All right. I think we did it. That's us, you guys. I hope you had a nice time. Um, if you're on your period, make yourself some ginger tea. Ooh, good idea. If you're in the thrall of a shitty man, just go to Paris alone. Yeah. Without him. If you're in the thrall of a shitty man and you're also on your period, oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. So sorry. All right. Stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.